Good morning. I want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church on this beautiful Mother's Day. And uh, what a fine looking crowd we've got today. Good to see everyone. We're so glad you're here. Here at East LJ, we've been captivated by Christ. We have seen God's glory, the beauty of our God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the grace that God has poured out on us through Him. We want you to see the beauty of Jesus today. And likewise, be captivated by Him. And so we pray that that's what will happen during this hour. We want to give a happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. And so if you're a mother, would you please stand? All right. Well, I didn't say sit down. So, So stand back up. Proverbs 31, verses 28 to 30 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen and amen. Ladies, thank you so much for your ministry uh, to so many of us in, in, in our homes. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And we hope that today you are royally celebrated by your family with some good time together, uh, Lord willing, with your children, if that's possible. But today, you know, we also realize that for so many uh, of you whose mother's no longer here, perhaps, Mother's Day is a bittersweet day. Uh, it's bitter because you can't see her and be with her, but, uh, and you just miss her. But it's also sweet because you have those wonderful memories and as we honor mothers, we also want to remember those for whom this day is painful. Women who long to be mothers but cannot for various reasons. Women whose families or communities make them feel less than because they don't have children. Moms who are estranged from their children. Moms who've lost children. Moms who struggle with different feelings about motherhood. Moms who live with a little thanks or affection from their adult children. Women, men, girls, boys who've been wounded or even abandoned by their, their mothers. We see you and we love you. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. All right. We are going to uh, open our service with a song. And right after that, we're going to have a parent commissioning child dedication service with uh, quite a few uh, little ones this morning. So looking forward to that. Would you stand with us as we worship in song?
You may be seated. Well, this morning we have the privilege to share in a parent commissioning service primarily. Will the following couples and, uh, and families and their children please come forward? First of all, Katie Sharp, um, along with the, grand, the mother and along with the grandparents Daniel and Donna Brown and little Maya Sharp. Maya was born on December the 28th, 2022. And then Megan and Trey Rickman, y'all come on down along with their triplets, Weston Daniel, Boone Anderson, and Duke Redmond, all born on August the 9th, 2021. You can bring the whole gang if you need to there. We understand. <laughs> but I'm sure Dad is used to double duty there. Awesome. Y'all come on down. And then also Alex and Chris Hurlmeyer with young Chris, William Christopher, born December the 26th, 2020. Hello, William. <laughs> All right, we're so glad to uh, have you guys um, worshiping with us, visiting with us, and, um, and just wanting to take part in this. Rightly understood, this commitment that you make today as parents is an acknowledgement that your child has come from God as a gift to you. Parents, your home is a mission field, and you are God's appointed missionaries to your child. You're responsible for God to make sure your children understand the gospel primarily and its implications in their lives. Your pastor and church family want to help you, but you are the ones that must own this God-given responsibility. And even in your coming this morning and being willing to participate in this, you're doing just that. It's your God-given calling to love, to nurture, to instruct your children in the good news of Jesus Christ in such a way that they grow up knowing what it means to love and serve Christ with all that they are. And consequently then, to love and serve others around them sacrificially as well. The priorities that you practically live out, as well as the way in which you weather life's storms, will frame these little ones' perspectives on life with Jesus. So today is just a, simply a formal recognition of that responsibility. Today is really more of a time of commissioning for you as parents to these babies than anything. Pastor J.D. Greer puts it this way, There are lots of roles our church can fulfill Ministers to the least of these, gospel advocates to the unreached. But one role that we must never take on as the church is that of being the primary discipler of all our kids. Our role as the church is to be a partner for mom and dad. God wants mothers and fathers to be the frontline disciple makers in our children's lives. And that's why Paul wrote to parents in Ephesians 6 verse 4 and said, Fathers, and really addressing parents as, as a whole, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up 
in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So may your actions today match those of the Old Testament matriarch Hannah, who in the book of 1 Samuel said, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked for. So now I give this child to the Lord. For a lifetime, this child will be given over to the Lord. Now for Hannah, that meant sending Samuel to the temple to serve the Lord, and, and, and for her it meant missing much of his childhood. For some of you here today, wholly giving your child to God could truly be costly to you, to your child. If perhaps God might choose to use your son or daughter to take the gospel to an unreached people group on the other side of the world where it's illegal, perhaps even life-threatening to profess faith in Jesus. But if we understand the gospel and we have truly seen God's glory in the face of Jesus, then we gladly release our children into the hands of our Father who gave His own Son to die for us. As you give your child to the Lord, know He will be received. In Mark, 10 verse, uh, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And Jesus took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, while that doesn't mean your ch children will always have an easy life, uh, what it does mean is that if your child later on personally chooses to trust and follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, then Jesus will eternally hold them and protect them forever. As couples... You've all encountered God's power at work in and through your love for one another to bring into the world these beautiful new lives. Will you pledge to support and love your child by providing the opportunity for him or her to grow up in the family of faith while with prayerfulness that he or she will someday follow Christ into the kingdom of God? If so, would you please respond by saying, We will. Amen. Will you, to the best of your ability, and with God's help, provide a loving family environment in which these children can grow in love toward their neighbors and towards God? And if so, would you please again respond by saying, we will. Amen. Will you encourage your child to grow in faith so that he or she will put their whole trust in the person of Christ? Will you encourage him or her so that he or she may be one who will live out the redemptive purposes of God no matter the cost? If so, please respond by saying we will. Amen. Church, these parents have expressed their trust in God ultimately in dedicating themselves to Christ-honoring, gospel-saturated parenting. We as a church, as your church family, pledge our support and loving presence in times of ease and difficulty, in times of joy and sorrow, in times of growth and frustration. We pledge as your church family to be faithful witnesses for Christ and upholding your families and especially these little ones in prayer and practical service. Maya, Weston Daniel, Boone Anderson, Duke Redmond, and William Christopher, we pledge as a church to be faithful witnesses to Christ in your lives right now as we seek Jesus' help to give you all to him and we also do this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This we pledge. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.
for these precious little ones. We pray that you will enable these parents to fulfill the vows they've made today for your name's sake. And help us as a church family to be faithful in serving them in Christ. But most of all, we pray that you would do what only you can do. Call all of these children to yourself in your perfect time, giving them eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and to be fully dependent on and captivated by him. We pray these things this morning in Jesus' name and for his glory's sake. Amen. 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 Thank you all so much.
Father, we praise you that you are our strong God. Father, I thank you that there is no one like you and that we can call you Father, that we, you have made us in Christ to be your children if we know you today. Father, I thank you that you have power, that you want us to enjoy for whatever it is we're facing in life, wherever we find ourselves this morning. Father, for some of us here today, things are pretty good. For others, there's struggles of all kinds. Father, for our mothers here today, their situations are so varied. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for each and every situation. And that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is indeed available to us if we know Christ and he lives in us by his spirit. And so God, how I pray today that we would lean on you, that we would draw from your power that we would boast in our weakness and find your strength and see it made perfect even in the midst of our weakness and watch you do what we cannot do as mothers as well as all of your children day by day. Father, I pray for some in this room and join us via live stream who have yet to trust you as Savior. God, I thank you that today can be the day that they come to know you. That they have all their sins forgiven. That they're declared righteous before holy God. That they're indwelt by your spirit. Lord, that you would come and make your home in their hearts. This is our prayer. God, be our teacher as you illumine your word for us this morning. Give us eyes to see, and Lord, through your word, change not just our moms in the room, but change us all, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn within your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Sarah Walton made this statement. Our children need a mom who loves Jesus more than a mom who does everything right. Can I just ask a quick question of the moms? Mom, is there, is there any mom in the room who's done everything right? No. So I'm really glad that what our children need more than that is a mom who loves Jesus more than a mom who does everything right. Elise Fitzpatrick writes, Mother's Day celebrations in the church can be, if we're not careful, the law in the lives of many. All of the, you're supposed to do this, 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 and this. And in turn, it, these, our celebrations of Mother's Day in church can breed discontent and guilt and 
can make us feel that our identity, Ms. Fitzpatrick says, as women is not rooted in the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, but in our own ability to be all the source, to be the source of life and goodness for all. She goes on to jokingly say, Don't misunderstand me. I'm not the sort of woman who would seek to ban a day when I have the power to make my husband and my sons cook for me. I'm not that stupid. But I would like to bring some gospel sanity into Mother's Day. You see, we are all tempted to find our identity in who we are in whatever role God's given us, be it a mother or even a dad, or our various careers. We figure that if we're being good and godly parents, and our children are being fairly good and godly, then God likes us and accepts us, and everything's good with God. But if our kids go off the rails, or if we have a bad week, or if our whole family and parent-child facet of life is so far from that ideal... Seen in Scripture, we assume God has, must have put us in time out and really doesn't want to talk to us anymore. Do you remember the folks that we talked about last Sunday from the book of Acts? You know, the early church. That group we looked at and how they turned the world upside down. They, they turned the Roman Empire inside out with the gospel. Do you realize something about the early church? None of them were raised in a Christian home. Because they were still trying to figure out what a Christian home was as they took the gospel all over the Roman Empire. You see, there is a right way to figure. Y'all ever done any figuring? That's a southern thing, if you're not from around here. That's a southern uh, word for calculation. You you do some figuring. There's a southern, uh, excuse me, there's a right way There's a southern way, and then there's the right way, probably most times. (laughs) Sometimes we like to think that the southern way is the right way, however. There is a right way to figure. That is to think, to calculate about being a Christian mom or a dad or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a pastor. And so I want us to talk this morning about gospel figuring on Mother's Day. The truth I want you to see in the verses we're about to read is this. We find our truest identity by putting all of our confidence in Jesus. I'm just going to tell you as simply as I know how to tell you, and I've already told you in the quote I read, there is nothing more important in your life. There is nothing more life-changing. There is nothing that will dictate the results of your life any more powerfully than whether or not all of your confidence is in Jesus Christ. And you find your identity in Him. It's true of your mom. It's true of us all. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision." who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
what's Paul's talking about here? He's talking about being able to brag about something he's accomplished himself before God's law. And he gives this list of his spiritual pedigree, if you will, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Gospel figuring on Mother's Day. We find our truest identity by putting all of our confidence in Jesus. I want you to see, first of all, in verses 7 and 8, the motivation for gospel figuring. Why would we find our truest identity in Jesus? Why would we put all of our confidence in Him? The motivation for that is found in verses 7 and 8. Check out Paul's upside-down economics here. Verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. All his life, the, the things we read in verses 1 through 6, all his life, Paul had counted as gain those things. Who he was, where he was born, uh, his family, his whole upbringing, all of his behavior according to the law as a Pharisee and, and, and all his religion, he counted it as gain. But he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Jesus changes everything. When, when we see Jesus, we understand the gospel, it changes everything. Our economics about what's important in life get turned upside down. Why is that true? What is it about Jesus that changes everything? Well, notice the first part of these upside-down economics. The first part of the motivation for gospel figuring is the excellency of knowing Jesus. Why would you find your identity in Christ? Why would you count everything else lost? Why would you put all your confidence in Him because of the excellency of knowing Jesus. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Very simply, there is no greater gain to be had on planet Earth. Do you believe that today? It's mediocre. There's a lot of y'all on a Mother's Day you can do better than that. Do you believe there is no greater gain on planet Earth than Jesus? Amen. We find our truest identity by putting all of our confidence in Jesus. You know, some of us, perhaps more than others, but all of us to some degree or the other, I don't know about you, but I've drank from a lot of different wells in this world looking for satisfaction. Have you? And there's some of us here maybe this morning who you, you, you've been, you, this week you've been drinking it some well, trying to find satisfaction. And yet you're here this morning. If you're honest, you know, what, you know what the truth of your heart is this morning? You're dry as dust. 
It's done nothing to satisfy. And what we're saying to you, what we're telling you from God's Word today, is the only fountain of living water that will satisfy that ache in your heart, that, that emptiness in your heart, is Jesus. It's Jesus. So part of the motivation, the main part of the motivation of knowing Christ and, 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 and counting all things loss is the excellency of knowing Him, of who He is. But notice also, according to Paul, another element in that motivation is the excrement of everything else. Once you see Jesus, you also see everything else differently. You see everything else more clearly. He said a couple times already that he considers all things loss. He uses that word loss a couple times, doesn't he? But check out the end of verse 8. And count them as rubbish. He changes the word. Not loss, but rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. Anybody got the King James translation in your hand? And it says what? Dung. Let's have a little quick discussion here. Just a little educational moment. How many of you know what dung is? Everybody understand? Are we on the same page? This is animal excrement. Human excrement. Whatever. Some of our translations just kind of shine it up a little bit. I mean, you can't shine that stuff up. Are you, are you tracking? And they call it rubbish. Can I ask you, what's a cow patty worth to you? I mean, have you ever gone in search of one to bring it home? Put that thing on display. Maybe a Sunday dinner centerpiece for the table. Not only is dung merely without value, it's worthless. It actually has a negative value to us, doesn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, it's reviling to me. I avoid stepping in dog poop. Don't, don't you? I mean, I, I mean, that is nasty. This is what Paul is saying. You know, if I get that stuff on my shoe, let me tell you something. Life stops till it's off. I don't care where I was going. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be late. Paul says that he counts all things other than Jesus as dumb. If you've seen Jesus and seen the excellence of knowing him, it changes how everything else looks. And if you find this way of thinking really strange and weird, then maybe it's because you haven't seen how beautiful Jesus is. We read it earlier, we're not going to reread it now, but verses 1 through 6, just glance back through there. Paul says, I mean, as far as a Jew, one of God's chosen people, I mean, he had it all going on. He was born right. He lived right. He'd done all the right stuff. He was, I mean, he was as, as righteous as you could be in Israel. He'd done it all. And he says of all of that, all of that stuff that I was proud of, that I felt good before God about, I count it as dung. 
compared to knowing Jesus. In fact, in Paul's case, and, and, and by the way, in our case, you can't be saved. You can't know Christ until you count it as done. You know why? Because if Paul had continued to put his trust, his confidence, in all the stuff he had done, you know how grace works? Grace plus works does away with grace, and you just got works on the other side of that equation. You mix grace with works, and you end up with just works. Because grace won't be mixed. God's glory through salvation given as a gift through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, it can't be mixed. It's like oil and water. And so if Paul had tried to continue to be proud of his past and all that he'd done in the name of religion and for God, he could have never known the beauty of Christ. That's why he says in several places, no one is justified by works of the law. In fact, those who didn't even have the law in his day, all the rest of the world, except Israel, he said, and it really, this really ticked his nation off. It, it really irritated Jews in that day. He said, hey guys, fellow Jews, fellow Israelites, here's what you need to know. You come into the kingdom of God the same way Gentiles do. No, they don't have the law. But they come to Christ by simple faith. They take salvation as a gift. And the only way you'll ever get there, if you think you can try to keep trying to keep the law and do all this stuff that was prescribed under the old covenant and come into the kingdom, you're crazy. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Jesus has broken down the dividing wall. There is no difference. All come to Christ through simple faith, even the faith, as you read earlier, of a child. So let's think about this practically. What are the cow patties that you too, even as we all do, find yourself treasuring? Counting his gain in life. Is it possible that we idolize our calling? As fathers, mothers, homemakers, school teachers, bankers, lawyers, construction workers, deacons, Sunday school teachers, pastors. And we find our identity in what we do instead of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Now, we can certainly glorify God in our callings, and we should. But it's about where we find our truest identity. It's, 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 it's about what our heart is trusting in and where our heart finds rest. John Piper said, Becoming a Christian means discovering that Christ is a treasure trove of holy joy and riding loss, even dung, over everything else in the world in order to gain Him. We find our truest identity by putting all of our confidence in Jesus. That's the motivation for gospel figure. And notice with me, secondly, in verse 9, the purpose for gospel figure. And what's the goal of these upside-down economics that Paul has? Verse 8, the second part, that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. I count them as rubbish in order that, for the purpose that, I may gain Christ. Christ, that I may take hold of Him, that I might come to truly know Him as He is revealed in the Scriptures. 
And then Paul explains exactly what he means in verse 9. He says, what does it mean to gain Christ? He says, that I may be found in Him. He explains in the second phrase what he meant in the first phrase. That I may take hold of Him, that I may gain Christ. What do I mean? That I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I want to be found by God trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. I never want to be found by God to be trusting something I'm doing. Some, something I'm doing to earn my standing before Him, but rather only trusting in what Jesus has done for me. Is it possible to have true righteousness on our own? No. Paul realized that. He realized that if he were ever to be righteous in God's sight, he needed Jesus. And here's what Jesus has done for us according to Romans 3, verses 20 and following. This is one of those places I mentioned earlier. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works, by the works of the law. Let me, let me tell you what that means. That means you can't earn salvation. You can't keep a list of rules and thereby be accepted before holy God. Because here's the problem with all of us. We've broken a whole nother set of rules. Even if we could keep that set, we've broken another set. And James says that if you offend the law in one point, you've offended the whole thing. You break the law in one place, you're a lawbreaker. You may not be as bad of a lawbreaker as somebody else, but guess what? When you stand before holy God, it don't matter about everybody else. Amen? It's just you and holiness. And without Jesus, we're in big trouble because we ain't holy. We ain't even close. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's what, that's what the law does, is point out our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified, how? Freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice for atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Very simply, we can't earn salvation. The only way righteousness before God can come to us is if we trust in Jesus' perfect life, lived in our place, He obeyed the law fully for us. He went to the cross to bear the, the curse and God's wrath against our sins. That is, all the times we've broken the law. He was buried on the third day. He rose in victory over sin. Not just sin's penalty, but sin's power in our lives. So that now... The only way we can have righteousness before God is to come to God and say, I believe what you say about Jesus. And I take your gift. You say, God, that you're giving me forgiveness of all my sins. You say that if I'll trust Jesus, there'll be no condemnation from heaven ever again because of what Jesus did. And you say, God, that if I'll trust Jesus, you not only forgive my sin and, and, and bring me back to... to, to, uh, to 
no guilt. You give me positive righteousness. You dump all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ into my spiritual bank account so that when you see me, you see me as just as righteous as Jesus is. And you say, God, that if I'll trust Jesus, you'll come to live in me and you'll give me power over sin in my day-to-day life. And you'll change me and one day you'll take me home to make me like Christ, to live with him forever. And so, God, here I am. And the only way that we can get that that righteousness is to say, I take the gift. Now, if you've never heard that before, you're probably sitting there thinking, that's too good. There's a catch somewhere. There's got to be something else I do the moment you add anything to what I just said and the moment you change salvation into some sort of deal between you and God, it's off. He takes the deal off the table. It's a one-way gift. And if you won't humble yourself to the point where you say, God, I can and actually, not only will I not do anything, I cannot do anything but take what you have done for me as a gift. Oh, what a beautiful salvation it is, Amen. Elise Fitzpatrick said, we're more sinful and flawed than we ever dared to believe. But we're more loved and welcomed than we ever dared to hope. All because of Jesus. Because of his perfect life in our place, his sin-atoning death, and his resurrection for our present and future victory. Ephesians 2 says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Do our hearts treasure what God treasures, namely, daily, intimate reliance on Jesus and Jesus alone. We find our truest identity by putting all of our confidence in Jesus. We've seen the motivation for gospel figuring. We've seen the purpose for gospel figuring. Finally, this morning, the result of gospel figuring. Where does it end? Verses 10 and 11, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the first part of verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Everybody good so far? Y'all in on that? Me too. I mean, I mean, I mean that I may know Jesus... That I'm, that I'm experiencing the powers, I'm good. I'm good to that point. I'm not so fond of the rest. How about you? Because he says next, and I, 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 I mean, I'm figuring like this, I, I count all things lost, that I may know him, and the reason I want to know him is that I might know the power, know him and the power of his resurrection, listen, and may share his sufferings. And if that's not bad enough, becoming like him in his death. I'm not sure. Are we in or are we out? You see, you, don't, you can't have it both ways. I can't have it both ways. The result of gospel figuring is that we would know him, first of all. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. We think about everlasting life, sometimes we just think about heaven. 
living forever there in heaven. But, but this is talking about something different. Jesus said it's knowing God. It's a relationship, an intimate, personal relationship with God through Jesus. What all does knowing him involve? That's what Paul's breaking down here, that we would know the power of his resurrection. We sang about it this morning. And Jason and Trey and all y'all who planned the music this morning, it's kind of funny how that works out sometimes. Same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us, Romans 8, verse 11. Romans 6, verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You see, as we know Christ, as we come to know Him, as we enter into that relationship with Him, something else happens. We begin to live in the power of His resurrection because the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the Bible tells us, comes to live in us. Jesus said, we will come make our home with you. God lives in us if we trust His Son. If we take that gift, you say, how does that work? Maybe that's unfamiliar language to you, and, 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 and I'll just tell you, it's a mystery every time I say it. How does that work? I don't know how it works. I just know it's true. I just know that God comes by His Spirit and indwells believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in that indwelling brings the power of the resurrection to bear as I deal with temptation and, 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 and struggle against sin in this life will know the power of his resurrection. It's out of that personal relationship and resurrection power that the fulfillment, as we were talking about earlier, our callings flow. And we must never forget that order. We must never get the order backwards. You see, our truest identity is found in knowing Jesus. And out of that flows whatever it is that he may have called us to do and be in this world. It is Jesus who is the fountain of living water, and it is our callings that flow from Him through our personal relationship with Him. But also, here in, in this passage, it, it shows us that another part of the result of, of, of this gospel figuring is we'll know the fellowship of His sufferings. We started thinking about this a minute ago. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul says the same thing. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In the Gospels, Jesus said, here's the deal. Before you decide you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost. You need to understand up front, if you're on the verge of trusting Jesus here today, that part of the deal is you, I mean, you get all this stuff we've been talking about. Forgiveness of sins, righteousness before holy God, hope for eternity, the indwelling power of, and, and presence of the Spirit of Jesus, but, but you get suffering. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Philippians 1 verse 29 says it a different way. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. I'm so good with everything up to there. But also suffer for his sake, Paul said. Why? Why is that God's design for his children? That we come to him and we get this treasure trove of, of, of wonder in Jesus. Forgiveness, righteousness, the hope of heaven, the presence of his, of his Spirit in our hearts. 
Why does the suffering have to be thrown in? 2 Corinthians 4 answers that, verse 7. But we have this treasure that we just described in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in you, but life in us, but life is at work in you. Just to summarize that very simply, Jesus, God, has ordained suffering in the lives of his people so that the world can see it's about his power, not ours. So that they can see as God is changing our lives and enabling us to to live in ways that we cannot live on our own apart from his power, apart from the truth of the gospel, He allows suffering to come, and and it makes real plain that the only way we can live the way we do, the only way we can be persecuted but not abandoned, the only way we can be perplexed but not in despair, the only way we can be hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, the only way is God is in that. They look at us and they see that treasure inside. Oh, Oh, Chad, he's just a jar of clay. He's just a common pot. He's, just, he, he's nothing special. There's nothing strong or beautiful or good about him. But God has done something. And it's clearly God. Because I've seen the dirt part of Chad. Right? By the way, you know, sometimes it make, makes church hard. But that's the very thing that, that makes the gospel beautiful. And we've got to learn to forgive each other's dirt. Are you with me? Y'all tracking? We're all jars of clay. So that the treasure of Jesus might be seen. What does it mean to know Christ? It means that we figure Jesus is such a great game that we willingly live united to Him, completely surrendered to His control as living sacrifices for His glory in this world No matter the cost, and we know there will be a cost. It means we say like John the Baptist did in John 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You know what happened to John not long after that? He got beheaded. It had to happen. What he said he wanted, he actually had to live out. You say, that may never happen here, likely won't happen in our lifetimes. Probably not. But you're going to have to die to you at some point, often, if you're following Jesus. You may only suffer some embarrassment with coworkers. It may never be any more than rejection by family members. Neither of those are insignificant, but compared to losing your head, you see where I'm, the comparison there. We find our truest identity by putting all of our confidence 
in Jesus, no matter the cost. There's a song that says, Things so precious to me have no place in eternity, so I count them but loss for the cross. If God were to look into your heart right now, what would he find as your highest treasure? What do you count as your greatest gain? Is it dung stuff? Which according to Paul is everything else but Jesus? Or is it Christ? You see, if you've seen the excellency of knowing Jesus, it changes everything and it changes how you see everything else. What is it today that's become an idol that needs to be torn down? By the way, God always has our hearts laid bare before his eyes. He always knows and sees how I'm calculating about life, where my heart's treasure is. Elise Fitzpatrick again says, Jesus' work has made you his, and he has given you an eternal identity. You are his beloved son or daughter in whom he is well pleased. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are righteous, not because of anything you can do, but only because of what Jesus has already done. And if you're here today and you don't know him, that may not be true of you yet, but it can be true of you. You say, you don't know what all I've done. It doesn't matter what all you've done. Jesus died for what all you've done. To pay the price of, uh, uh, under God's justice for that stuff you've done. Today, you can have it all cleansed. And you can be forgiven, even righteous. Because of all that Jesus has done for you. We find our truest identity by putting all of our confidence in Jesus. Kristen Weatherell, as we close, said, The less of me, the more his resurrection life can take over my motherhood. Making me more like him. Changing my desires. Loosening my iron grip on worldly gain. And satisfying me with himself. To be a broken mom means to give up my idea of better and submit myself to God's best for me, which is my sanctification, me being made more like Jesus. And as he makes me more like his son through humble, broken dependence on him, I not only look more like Jesus, I love more like Jesus. I love him and my children better as a result. You see, that is gospel figuring on Mother's Day. May it, be how, may it be how all of us who follow Jesus figure each and every day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that there's nothing we can do to make you love us anymore. And there is nothing we can do to make you love us that will make you love us any less. Lord Jesus, you are all we need for everlasting joy. Loving you is really what changes our lives. And when we love you and seek you and trust you and find our, put all our confidence in you, Lord, you in fact don't leave us the same. You do, by your Spirit, change us. 
But it's a real change that lasts from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you draw any to you today that don't know you. And I pray, God, for our moms all across the room and all across the live stream this morning. Father, how we pray that they would just daily do this gospel figuring, that they would not get caught up in comparisons, that they would not get caught up, Father, in doing everything just right based on what everybody else is doing or based on what they think they ought to do. God, but rather they would love Jesus with all their heart. And that from there, God, you would transform and use them in the lives of the next generation. Thank you, Father, for how you are using mothers all across our church family, the impact that will never end in this life, in the lives of their children. We praise you for them. We thank you for Jesus-loving moms. And God, how we pray that you would draw all beyond mothers today who need you to yourself, even as we sing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together and sing. This altar is open for you to respond however you need to. If you need to know Jesus today, there's no better day than Mother's Day to do that. Don't wait. Come to Him. Whatever you need as we sing.
trust that it is well with your soul today. Amen. You may be seated for just a moment.